again, beginning in the 10th verse of Isaiah chapter 55. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the things for which I send it. Let's pray. God, our Father, we bless you that you are in the house. We thank you for the ministry of prayer that's reigniting and sensitizing us to the move of the Spirit of God, that you are activating the gift of discernment, that you are activating other spiritual gifts as we water and cultivate the gifts that you've given us through the ministry of prayer. Father, may we continue to be a church that prays. May we continue to be a church that makes disciples, that makes disciples as we reach our full potential in Jesus. Praise the Lord. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Praise God for another day's journey. I'm so grateful to be here and for each of you who were able to come and to join us today. I want to thank Sister Dawn, hallelujah, for ministering to us, amen, and always our keyboardist and drummist, drummer, drummist, okay, I just created a new word, amen, and thank the Lord for each of them and their ministry, amen, amen. Some years ago, a small farming town outside of Kansas City was experiencing a three-month drought. The entire economy depended on a good harvest. Without rain, the farmers and the people of that community would lose everything they had. Recognizing the gravity of the situation, a local pastor organized a citywide prayer he rented a venue for pastors in their congregations, and the goal was to have corporate worship scheduled so that the people of God could pray for rain. Once the word spread throughout the city for prayer for rain, people started to get excited. On the day of prayer, hundreds of people from all over the town gathered. There were government officials, city officials, there were all kinds of people that gathered in the place that had been set aside to pray for rain. And as the time became near for the prayer to start, some of the pastors who had assisted the pastor who was burdened to uh, uh, organize the prayer uh, outreach Noticed that he wasn't there, and the time was getting late, and they realized that he wasn't going to arrive on time, and so they decided as a group to wait until he got there. And so when they saw the pastor pull up, they were all shocked to see the pastor's three-year-old daughter who steps out of the car. She has on a raincoat, a rain hat, boots, and an umbrella. And so when they saw that, they realized that they had come to pray for rain. She had come expecting it to rain. The Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. She was prepared, prepared, for the rain. Say to somebody, prepare for the rain. Oh, that was kind of, prepare for the rain. Amen, amen, amen. Throughout the Bible, physical rain symbolizes God's spiritual blessing or his judgment on his people. An example of this is found in the book of Haggai, chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, where we read, you look for much but indeed, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. 
Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruin. While every one of you runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above withhold the dew, withhold the rain, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I call for a drought, the, the stoppage of rain, on the land and on the mountains, on the grain and on the new wine and oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, O men, on men and livestock, and on the labor of your hands. God says, I caused the rain to stop. I caused the drought. And so rain in the Bible often symbolizes when the physical rain doesn't come that God is not pleased, that the divine judgment is upon the land. Another example of how God will bless the land with rain is found in one, a familiar passage in Malachi chapter 3, uh, where the Lord says in verses 10 through 11, bring, bring the whole tithe to my storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, saith the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open up the floodgates, rain, of heaven, and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room to, re to receive it. I will prevent the pest from devouring the crop, and the vines of your field will not drop, will not drop the fruit before it's ripe, saith the Lord God Almighty. The rain, the rain, the rain is symbolic of divine blessing and cursing. And the interesting thing about divine blessing and cursing as it relates to the symbolism of rain is that it is always connected to the word, to the word. It, it, if you are obedient to the word, the blessings of rain and what it produces will come. If you disobey the word, the rains, the drought will come as an act of divine chastisement or judgment from the Lord. Sometimes the droughts in our lives come in the form of conflict in our marriage. It doesn't always have to be physical rain and, and, and dryness and desert times. It can come in the form of marital conflict, dysfunction in our homes, rebellious children, strained relationships at work and with our friends. Spiritual droughts can come in the form of depression, sickness, plagues like the pandemic and even death. You may, if you are going through a dry season where the Lord is withholding the rain, even, either for divine judgment or testing to develop you spiritually, you may find yourself lacking peace. You may find doors that should be open, closed, and your prayers unanswered. You may end up in a position where you are in financial straits when the rain, when the drought, when the desert times come because God is executing divine judgment, divine judgment. When you are in a dry place of pain and testing, you need, you need to prepare for the rain. Say prepare for the rain. Now, as bad as physical droughts are, the scripture predicts a time when there would come an even greater dryness, a greater desert place, a greater desert, or a, a, a greater drought. In Amos chapter 8, verses 11 through 12, we read, Behold, the days are coming, declareth the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or water, but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. People will stagger from, the, from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. When you don't hear the word of the Lord, as, as, as Paul says in Romans chapter 10, he says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, your spirit is not watered, your spirit is not nourished, and you will find yourself lacking in strength. You will find yourself lacking in discernment as to distinguishing good from evil. We need the rain. Somebody say, we need the rain. We need the rain. The good news from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 through 13, is that we can prepare, we can prepare 
for the rain. We can prepare for the rain. And before I read what those verses say, I want you to understand a couple things. And let, in fact, let me read those verses. We've already read in verses 10 through 11 that as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return, but the water, but it waters the earth and it makes it bring forth buds. The rain, the rain, the rain, the rain has a, a purpose. The rain produces what God intends for it to produce. And so we can prepare for the rain. And there are just two thoughts that I want to consider with you today. First thought is, what should you do to prepare for the rain? Secondly is, how does God respond to those who prepare for the rain? What should you do to prepare for the rain? Now, a couple more house cleaning thoughts. The rain in the passage before us refers to the word of God. The word of God is the rain that he wants to pour down on our life and to accomplish the purpose for which he sends it. And when we are obedient to the word of God, the rain of God, the water, the word of God will open up the windows of heaven in such a way that the blessings that God has promised will overflow in our lives in ways that we are unable to even fully comprehend or understand. Like Paul says, he will bless us beyond what we can fathom or even comprehend. Somebody say amen. A second thing that I want you to know that I'm aware of is that this passage is prophetic. It's eschatological. It talks about future events. And so some of what Isaiah talks about has not occurred when he speaks to the audience of the nation of the, the southern tribe, the nation of Judah. So these are, they have a future message as we shall see. But it also, the, the language of this passage is poetic. It is poetic. And so poetic language is not to be understood literally except for how you parallel it to real life experiences. So though the language is poetic, when he talks about the mountains clapping <laughs> and the hills shouting, when he talks about that, he's talking about uh, the mountains and the hills represent obstacles in our life. And instead of them being hindrances, God's going to turn that thing around. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, the final, final housekeeping thing uh, that I want to mention is I am going to focus on how I believe the audience that Isaiah wrote to would have heard this passage, how they would have understood it for an application for their personal lives, not from an eschatological because they didn't live to see what is still yet to happen. Not from the poetic, because they may not have been able to make the parallels, but they would have been able to say, how does this impact my life today? And that's where we're going to focus our attention. That's for the theologians who would question how I'm interpreting this part of the Bible. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, what do you need to know to prepare for the rain? The word, the word, the word that God wants to bless us with. God does not want to curse us. He does not want to judge us. He doesn't. He said, nothing good will I withhold from you if you walk upright. Amen? Amen? So how do you prepare for the rain? In verses 1, we read uh, the following words. Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters and you, you who have no money, come. Buy and eat with no money. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And the principle that we want to draw from this passage, and by the way, many commentators and theologians have called Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 13, the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament, where it says, for God so loved the world. This is the for God so loved the world passage in the Old Testament. This is the passage in the Old Testament that shows that even under the old dispensation, under the old covenant, under the law, the people who got saved got saved the same way we do, by we, as we shall see. And so the first thing, how do you get ready for the rain? Somebody say, how do you get ready? How do you get ready? I'm glad you asked. Realize that the grace of God that sets us free is free. The grace of God that sets us free 
is free. Now, when he talks about coming and getting free food and wine, he ain't talking about free groceries or the five o'clock happy hour. The prophet is talking about the availability of salvation by grace that sets us free from our sin. As he's talking about free this, free that. You don't need any money for this. Now, you need what this offers, but you can't buy it. <laughs> you can't win it, but it's available. In fact, Jesus speaks in these same uh, allegorical or, or, uh, terms in John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, when, he, when Jesus is answering the woman at the well, when he says, give me water to drink from your cup. And she responds, wait a minute. I'm a Samaritan. You are a Jew. Jews and Samaritans do not share from the same cup. And so Christ responds, he said, if you had asked me for water, I would have given you water that doesn't come from Jacob's well, but you would never thirst again. So he wasn't talking about physical water. Again, poetic language, allegorical language, figurative language. Stay with me. Here's what Jesus says. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The water that Jesus was offering, this woman could not earn. It was free. It was by grace that he was saying, this is now available to you through what I'm about to do. I'm about to do something to make this type of water that will well up in you everlasting life. Let me tell you a few things about recognizing that the grace that saves us is, the free grace that saves us is free itself. Grace is God's unmerited favor bestowed upon us, given to us, because of the voluntary substitutionary death of Jesus. When he died on the cross, it should have been you, it should have been me. He voluntarily died. Grace is God's undeserved favor. Grace is something that we cannot earn. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace we have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is, even the faith that we receive, it is the gift of God, not the result of human effort, lest any man should boast. And so grace is undeserved. We can't earn it. Grace is greater than all of our sins. I don't care what you do, how bad you, how bad it was. As horrible as it may have been, the Bible tells us where grace, where, where sin did abound, grace did that much more abound. Grace is greater than every one of our sins. Now, now, now don't get comfortable. I, I can do whatever I want because grace is greater. Where sin abound, so did grace that much more abound. Okay, but the Lord says in, 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 in Romans chapter 6, Paul said that he, that don't, that don't, don't get twisted. He says, may, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? May anointer, no, may it never be. We were not saved from sin to continue living in sin. People who know the name of the Lord and genuinely are saved should respond and feel what the Holy Ghost feels when we disobey God. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. The Bible says when we sin, the Spirit of God is grieved. That means that you ought to be feeling some guilt about it. You ought to be feeling quenched in your spirit about it because the Holy Spirit is quenched. That means that the work of the Holy Spirit is halted, is interrupted. You know how it is. You're watching your favorite show, and then all of a sudden you see a blank screen, non-payment of bill, service out of, uh, out, of, out, of, out of commission until things are corrected, reconciled. Well, when we, when we sin... The Holy Spirit says that we walk in the light as he is in light. Then we have fellowship one with another. We have fellowship with the Lord. But when we are sin, fellowship is broken. Our relationship isn't broken because we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we're sealed until the day of redemption. But the fellowship, the koinonia, sharing in the same likeness of God, uh, having the favor of God in terms of his pleasure, 
or my behavior is now interrupted, it's broken, it's broken. Grace releases divine favor to the humble. And I, I like what, how James puts it. He says uh, in, in, in chapter 4, verse 6, it says, therefore, it says, God opposes. It says, no, no, no. But he giveth grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble. And so when I, in order for me to prepare for this rain, what God wants to release to me through his word, I need to recognize that the grace I receive, it itself, it's free. The grace I receive is free. And one of the benefits of the free grace that I have received is that God will, re, will give grace to the humble and with, he will withhold it from the proud. Now, here's an interesting thing. If you say you have the grace of God in your life, uh, uh, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5. We, we have access to the grace of God. We stand in the grace of God. We're surrounded by the grace of God. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the ministry of grace of God. So how, in the, how does God give something to those who are humble that other Christians don't have? Well, I'm glad you asked. Some of you have experienced this. I, 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 one reason I go to Salad Works now, I, I don't go as much as I should and as much as I used to, but there are three ladies that work there. As soon as I walk in, their faces kind of beam. And, Mr. Benson, they know me by name. They know me by name. I eat the same salad, the same dressing every time, and finally burned out. But anyway, they know me by name. And I know that if those three ladies serve me, I'm going to get so much salad in my little container that they have a hard time. They give me extra. And then after I get the extra salad, I hope the supervisor's not listening to me right now. I get the extra salad. Then I get to the cashier, Dawn, don't be mad at me. And then, and then what, what they do, they said, now let us give you your discount. Now, I'm just like any other customer. I'm purchasing from the same, same, same store. I'm purchasing the same items. But why do, when they give me extra, just because, but that's similar to what God does. We have his grace, what is called the prevenient grace, but there's some efficacious grace. There's some extra grace that God said, let me put some extra. Let me bless you with a little bit more. Let me give you a discount because you have walked in humility. Humility will get you an extra helping. Humility will get you an extra portion. Humility will open up doors for you that you shouldn't be walking through. Anybody want an extra portion? Anybody want the favor of God? Realize that the grace of God that sets you free is free. Here's the second thing that will prepare us for the rain in verse 2. So why do you spend money for what, you, what is not bread, what you don't need? And your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. A, 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 a delight itself in the Lord's provision. Here's the second thing that will prepare us for the rain, the blessing, what God wants to release through his word. Refuse to believe that people or things can meet your deepest need. He said, why are you spending your money on what doesn't satisfy? Why are you pursuing completion and fulfillment in things that only leave you empty. He said, listen, instead of pursuing things that can never satisfy, find your abundance, find your completeness in the Lord. Let me ask you two questions. What do you need that you don't currently have that you think would make you complete and content? What do you lack in your life right now, that you think if you had it, you'd be complete. Somebody said, ah, if I could have me a husband, I just need a better paying job. Some people say, I just need to lose some of these LBs. Some folks say, Lord, I just want you to deal with my enemies. You don't have to kill them, Lord. Just put them in bed and they can't walk no more. I'm saying, Lord, if you would just handle this woman you gave me. Some wives say, Lord, get them. Get them, Lord. I'd be content. I just want to hear them holler. 
Here's the second question. What am I willing to do to get what I think would make me content or fulfilled? Well, how, how, how far would you go? If you could identify that which would make you content, I want you to know wherever your treasure is, that's what you're pursuing for your contentment. That's what you're going after for your fulfillment. That's what you are chasing to meet your deepest need. But God never created us in such a way that anything other than him realize that people and things can't meet your deepest need. Now, let me share a little secret with you. A couple things. You are already complete in Jesus. Oh, you don't believe me? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you what the Word said. All right, here's what the Word says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He said, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead body, everything that God is, Jesus is, in human form. The Word became flesh, and he dwelled among us. And here's the part, here's the part. You, gotta, you ought to shout about that. He says, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. He's in charge of all of this. You are complete. You, so you already are complete. What you're searching for, you already have. It's not an it, it's a him. Here's another thing about this realizing or refusing to seek fulfillment in people and things is that you have to learn how to be content with, you, with what you already have. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Well, I'm not saying this because I am in need. He's in prison saying I'm not in need. Okay. Okay, Brother Paul. He said, But I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in and, and and in, 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 in any and every situation, whether I'm fed or hungry, whether I'm living with plenty or in want. How is that possible to be content with what you already have? He said, because I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me? That's what we already have. We have Jesus living on the inside who is our completeness and is available to give us whatever we think we lack because in him it is possible to do anything that God has called us to do. Contentment means that you are pleased or at peace on the inside regardless of what's going on on the outside. It means that you believe that when you know you are in the will of God, you lack no good thing. It doesn't mean bad things are not happening. It doesn't mean that obstacles are not in your way. But it means that in your situation, there is nothing that you're lacking because he promised, I will withhold nothing good from those who walk uprightly. It means that what your enemies intended for evil. That's what contentment understands. Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. That's what a contented heart can say. It means that even in your dry season, God is causing all things, all, all things to work together for your good and his glory. Let me release some rain for you right now. The reason why you can be content, the reason why you don't want to, you want to refuse to trust in things and people for your fulfillment is because the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord, somebody said, the Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I shall not be in wanting. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me. God's got this thing under control in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So if I'm going to prepare for the rain, I need to refuse to believe that anything other than God will give me the fulfillment that I already have. I already have it. We just need to walk in it. Somebody say amen. Here's the third thing. 
Are you still with me? We need to rest in the promises of God because of his past faithfulness. In verses 3 through 5, he said, Incline your ears to come to me. Here in your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. And so what he's saying is, the promises that I made to David are sure because you can look back on how I blessed David and what I promised to him that I would establish his kingdom forever. He said, because I did it for David, those blessings are a sure example and sign to prove to you that if I did it then, I'll do it now. We need, if you're going to get ready for the rain, you, the Bible says, don't come to God doubting anything. You need to rest in his promises. If he did it then, he'll do it again. Has God been faithful? Has he ever gone back on his word? Is he a man that he should lie? Or the son of man that he, no, 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 no. God's word is true. And even if you don't go back to the example of how he blessed David, you can look back over your own life. Somebody ought to thank him right now. Somebody ought to say, Lord, you've been faithful. Every promise you made to me, you kept it. Your word is yes and amen. Somebody help me out. Oh, is he faithful? Has he been reliable? Can you trust? Isn't he the same yesterday? Today? Oh, the Lord, I thank you. Thank you that I can rest in your promises because of your past faithfulness. He was faithful to David in verses 3 through 5. That's our witness that what he told David, he did it. It's a sure promise. It's a sure promise. It's already in the bank. Amen. Somebody say amen. Here's the fourth thing as we move into how God responds to those who are prepared for the rain. Repent from personal sin. Return to the Lord so he can restore you. Listen to what verses 6 and 7 says. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Here's the repentance. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will what? Have mercy on him and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. One of the things that will shut up the windows of heaven One thing that will cause you to be in a drought, in a dry place, in a desert place, surrounded by God's abundance, is personal sin that you continue to play with. Personal sin in your thought life. He said, let the wicked forsake his ways and and the unrighteous his thoughts. And so what will be, what God, the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. He says that the wages of sin is death. And he said, be, and, he, and he talks about that, 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 that I, he said, I will not hear the prayers of those who continue to practice in sin. God's ears are not deaf that he can't hear. His arms are not short that he can't deliver. But your sin hides the face of God from you. And so God said, prepare for the rain. How? Repent. Repent. Turn from your sins. Sin is not something to play with. It's like the time I was in, uh, I had a a book of matches, a kid in a candy store, (laughs) in the bathroom. Let me see if these, this toilet tissue will burn. It burned real fast. I struck the match. As soon as I lit it, it don't get no ideas, young man. (laughs) <laughs> and then I was like, man, that's boring. Let me, let me see if the curtain will so I, so I put the match next to the curtain. And the curtain caught on fire. Now, I was taking care of business, so when I saw the fire, I just shot out of the bathroom without straightening I just got out. I, took, I didn't tell anybody. I ran straight out the house. Praise the Lord. There, was a, there were adults there. One of the men went in, and he put the fire out quickly, and then when my mother realized what I did, she started another fire <laughs> on my backside. 
The Bible says, beware of leaven, because a little leaven, a little sin that we know about in our life but do nothing about is like that match that I struck and struck that, that, that abla- put the curtain ablaze, set it on fire, and it was spreading. That's what sin does. The devil will make you think you've got this thing under control. The devil will make you think you can stop whenever you feel like. The devil will make you think that nobody saw this. The devil will make you think if God forgives, he'll forgive it again. I think that's what Ananias and Sapphira thought about grace when they walked into church that day and they pretended they played with God's money. They pretended that they gave God his every, Lord, we give you a full tithe. They weren't required. This This was a love offering. This was above and beyond. This was a free will offering. And Peter said, why have you allowed Satan to fulfill your heart? I want you to know when, you, when your life is saturated with prayer, you will be discerning. You'll be able to distinguish spirits. You will be able to understand, not to the degree that God does, but he'll give you insight into people's motivation. And Peter said, you have not lied to men. You have lied to God. That's why people can look at you and say, I know what you're doing, but I can't tell you what it is. Or you can get around certain people and they know. And you know they know, but they just don't say anything. But the Bible says, let the unrighteous forsake his ways and the wicked his thoughts. He says, return to the Lord and he will abundantly pardon. He wants to restore you. He wants to reconcile with you. But as long as you play with sin, you won't grow. You won't be blessed. You're just putting your spiritual life on pause. And before you know it, five years have passed, 10 years have passed, you, 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 30 years have passed, and the reason you haven't moved forward, you're just moving sideways or in reverse, is because you haven't repented and returned to the Lord. David talks about this in Psalm 32. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, he said, my bones wept waxed away from me with groanings all day and night. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. For the day and night, he says, then I acknowledged my sin and, and did not cover, my, cover up my iniquities, and I confessed my transgressions, and you forgave my guilt and my sin. God will restore us. But to prepare for the rain, there's some personal stuff that is in your life. It could be pride. It could be unforgiveness. It could be holding a grudge. It could be fear. of You're intimidated by things that God told you to do. God has not given you the spirit of fear. And so whatever those things that are, that are, that, that are, that have you in bondage that you haven't repented of and turned away from, the Lord said, I want you to return and I will forgive you. I'll have mercy on you. But until you do, the rain ain't coming. The rain ain't coming. You say, I'm already blessed, not to the degree that God wants to bless you. Some of us love the dollar store. You go to the dollar store. I want to go to these. uh, I'm not like I'm going to them, but I want to have people giving me gift cards where I can go to these high-end stores. Amen? That's what God does. He said, I'm going to give you a gift card. You can go to the dollar store, spiritually speaking, but I'm giving those who are walking uprightly, who have repented and returned and been reconciled. You're getting high-end cards. Somebody say amen. Now, how does God respond when you prepare for the rain, when you prepare for his word and obedience? Here's what the scripture says in verses 8 and 9. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts, saith the Lord. I never really paid attention to the context of those verses. What the Lord is saying is the mercy that I'm bestowing upon people because of my grace makes no sense. (laughs) That's not how we deal with people who hurt us. That's not how we deal with people who, 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 who give us a hard time. 
That's not how we deal with people who are intentional about being disobedient and, 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 and backstabbing us. He says, no, 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 no. The reason why you don't understand this is because my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. Grace is not our way. Retribution is our way. An eye for an eye and a two for two. That's our way. But God says, let me explain to you that this grace that you can't earn or deserve is the result of the way I think. It's the result of my unconditional agape. Somebody say, thank you, Lord, that your ways are not my ways. And your thoughts, and God ain't sometime. He, he ain't going to get mad and hold a grudge. He ain't going to treat you one way today and another way tomorrow. He's not going to love you today and hate you tomorrow. He's not going to write your name on the hand, on the palm of his hand, and then erase it tomorrow. He's not going to put a spiritual carrot in front of your face, and as soon as you reach it, he raises it. God ain't like us. That's why the Bible said, let this mind. Be in you. That is in Christ Jesus. We don't think like the Lord. We need to have renewed minds. Somebody say amen. If you want the rain to come, God said, here's our response. First of all, let me give you an explanation. The reason why I bless the way I bless, like Sister Lisa used to say, bless God bless like you bless. He said, because I'm not like you. I'm not like you. From the explanation, he gives an illustration of how God responds to those who prepare for the rain. He says in verse 10 and 11, he says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven as the, as the liquid, as a provision for, for nourishment for the earth comes down and does not return there, it evaporates into the soil. And the interesting thing, when the rain comes and evaporates into the soil, it is, it is sent from the author of the rain, who's God. And then God, who's the author, gives the rain an assignment to go into the earth. And the interesting thing about the assignment of the, of the rain that comes, we can't see the work that it's doing. That's why we get so, get so out, of, out, of, out of pocket. The word goes forth, and he said it won't return. And we're expecting to see a physical manifestation. We're expecting somebody. No, 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 no. The work, the, war, the rain has gone into the soil, and it's working in the spirit realm. It just hasn't been manifested yet. And, and the, the, the author who is God, who assigns the, 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 the rain to do what the word to do what he wants it to do, it will not return to God until it finishes what it's been assigned to do. And the reason why the rain can bring forth budding and, and seeds and nourishment and, 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 and do what God commanded it to do is because the, the author who assigned it and gives it the specific aim that is finished what I sent you to do, it's based on the authority of God. The reason why the word has power is because it's theonumatized. It means that the Bible says that all scripture is God-breathed. It comes out of the very mouth of God. That's why it's profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness that we are thoroughly and adequately and completely prepared unto all good works. The word of God works because it does what he says it's going to do because he has the authority and the power to pull it off. So it gives the illustration of the, of the rain. What the rain does is what God tells it to do. And what we need to understand, he says, so shall my word be like the rain that comes out of my mouth. It will never return to me void or empty or unsuccessful, but it will accomplish that which I please and will prosper wherever I sent it. You just wait. You just wait. It, the rain is coming every time the word goes forth. The Bible says the word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces between the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the, and, and, and the joints of marrow. And it says it's a discerner of our very heart. It knows your motive. The word is working even when you don't see it working. The word can do what God says it will do because the God of the Bible who spoke it backs it up with his authority. And so the illustration is the word works. The rain will work to do what God sends it to do. The explanation is why it works for us in grace is because God is not like us. And he concludes with the application in verses 12 through 13. 
let me read those verses. Are you with me? For you shall go out with joy and be led out in peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of thorns, you shall come up with cypress trees. Instead of briars, you shall come up with myrtle trees. And it shall be, it shall be to the Lord for a name, for a name, for an everlasting sign that you shall not be cut off. The prophet provides the application. He says to those who have prepared for the rain by realizing that the grace we receive, the free gift of grace in itself is free, that those who refuse to rely on things of people for their fulfillment and those who recognize that they need to repent and return as they prepare and those who rest in the promises of God, he says, here's what happens when I send the rain, when I send the, word, when, when I send the rain of the word. He says, you shall go out in joy. That is the, that's his external expression of praise. So what the word does when it's released from heaven because we are responding obedience, listen, here's what's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to walk in praise. You are going to be a person who is an expression of the goodness of God by verbally, externally ex- acknowledging that God has done it. He says, you will go out in joy. Somebody glad about going out in joy? And then he says, you shall be led out with peace. While joy is an external expression of praise, peace is, the, is internal contentment. That you're going to have, anybody need some contentment while, the, while, while this war is going on in Ukraine? Anybody need some contentment while we're trying to figure out what to do about masks and returning to the church? He said, you shall be led by peace, not by frustration, not by fear, not by stress. He said, because he who keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleep. And the Lord says, if I guard a city, you can go on and rest. You don't have to be con- consumed with fear and doubt and frustration. You shall be led with peace. If you don't have peace in your life, guess what? You aren't prepared for the rain. There's something that you need to forsake. You may be trying to do this on your own. You may think that you can handle this. Somebody said it's not in trying, it's in trusting. Here's a third thing in terms of the application, how this relates to us. You are going to hear party music that no one else can hear, and you ain't crazy. He says that the mountains shall break forth in singing before you, and the trees will be filled with hand clapping. You will be surrounded, in other words, where people were... The Lord is saying that something on the inside, the trees and the mountains and the other things that God has created, there's going to be dancing and shouting and clapping in your heart that others can't experience because they don't have the presence of the Lord in their life that, and, and the word raining down revelation to you because you have come under its authority. He says there's going to be clapping and singing and dancing. You're going to have your own private party. The music won't even be on. The praise and worship won't even be happening. When you should be depressed, when you should be giving up, when you should be raising your hands and walking out. Instead, they're going to be clapping in your heart. There's going to be singing and dancing that God will release that you can't even understand. Why am I not crying? Why am I not crazy? Why haven't I run out of this place? Because God has put clapping, dancing, and singing Because he's allowed the rain, the rain, the rain of the word that you've received, but you've never applied. When you apply this word, clapping and dancing and singing. Anybody feel like clapping and dancing and singing? You ever find yourself sitting somewhere and all of a sudden the joy of the Lord just overtakes you? Oh, the presence of the Lord. You just know he's there. You just begin to reflect on the goodness of God and what he's done for you, how he brought you to where you are, what you currently have, that there's no way in your own strength. Somebody say, I want some clapping in my heart. I want to see some singing and dancing so that even when the music's not playing, I can get my shout on. 
I can get my praise the Lord on. I can get my hallelujah on. And then he says, I'm going to replace the thorns with, 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 with cypress trees and briars with myrtle. And what the Lord is saying is there's going to be a total makeover, from, not from the outside. You know how they do these makeovers? What do they call it? The total makeover? I think that's what they call it. He said that the briars are, are thorns. I'm in the, in the, and he says, and the, and the, bri- the briars are thorns, and, and he talks about the, 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 the other types of rough trees. He said, I'm going to replace them, and I'm going to give you things like the, the cypress tree represents strength and longevity. He said, I'm going to release to you beauty in the place of ashes. I'm going to give you in the place of non-productivity. I'm going to give you production in a dry place. When everybody else seems to be going in reverse, you'll be going forward. When everybody else is talking about slow down and not be productive, God is saying increase. He said, I'm going to give you a total makeover from the inside out. That's what the reign of the word of God will do for you when you're prepared for the rain. Stand with me. When the rain of God's word comes upon your soul, you experience a total makeover from the inside out. Whenever God blesses those who respond to his promises in his word, he says that the ultimate outcome of it is, he says, this will be for you, for the, the Lord's renown. God is going to get glory out of this. What God is releasing in you, God's going to get glory. I believe that this is a prophetic message that God, for some of us who have been struggling with anxiety and fear, some of us who've been focusing on the faces of men and women instead of seeing the author and finish of our faith, God says, if you would prepare for the rain, I will release clapping in the presence of your enemies. I will give you a dance in the presence of those who have set a trap before you. He's saying that I will re- I'm going to release shouting for those who have surrounded you intending to destroy you. He says, I am going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies if you prepare for the rain, if you prepare for the release of the word of God that will give you joy, give you peace, give you, give you joy in the place of ashes. Let us pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, help us to prepare for the rain. God, help us not to be satisfied with comfort that does not challenge us to press hard after you. Father God, may we be like Paul. He says, I strain. I make every effort with every fiber, with every muscle with every thought to press towards the high mark which is in Christ Jesus. God, I pray right now that we individually will prepare ourselves for the rain that you would begin to release as you already have on this church such things that we never imagined or comprehended in our thinking. God, I pray that we would be very ready for the rain that you're releasing because seeds have already been sown. And when you release the rain, the harvest is going to come. May we be ready for the rain. May we be ready for the rain. May we not be sleeping on the job. May we recognize that you've called us to be the watchmen over souls. May we be ready for the rain. In Jesus' name, amen.